This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Good evening, Sa. How are you? That was weird. It was really, really weird. <laughs> well, this is a weird podcast, man. It, it really is. It, Greg Rensmag and I kind of took the reins on this one and interviewed you. A lot of people have been asking to hear a little bit more about the guy behind Wild Sheep Society, BC, the CEO, the president, well, past president now, director, Jurassic Classic organizer. And uh, yeah, so we got to kind of dig into a little bit about what makes Kyle Stelter tick and the other, the other bunch of other fun stuff there, not necessarily what makes you tick because that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, it was pretty fun. What'd you think of it? Oh, it's fun. It's always neat to to be the the guest, and in some ways it's easier. I guess some ways it's it's diff, more difficult. Mm. But uh, no, it's fun. You know, it's fun to do it with you and Greg. Uh, you know, obviously good friends with both you guys, and um, so so it's fun. And then of course you get I get to look like an ass, talk about my stupidest moment in the in the field. So of course, but you know what? I I'm always screwing up anyway, so I'm used to telling dumb stories about myself. So <laughs> do you, do you notice one of the things that everybody has in common though with one of the dumbest dumbest things they do in the field they always involve a bear <laughs> or it's funny how that works yeah. they always involve a bear yeah that, that was it was good uh got to see uh different side of uh you like i i knew a lot of this stuff but i'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are gonna go well that's kind of cool and it, it was a great expose right uh the the society's pretty bloody transparent and this is just another one one aspect of what we like to show our, our members where, where does your money go and what the hell is the ceo do and why'd you create the position so i i thought it was pretty cool and it's going to open up uh, a lot of doors and a lot of eyes so cool yeah you know i think that that's a big part of it is is you know having people understand what's involved and why i'm why i'm in that paid position and uh, I've I've had questions about that. Our, our directors have had questions about that, and people don't really get to see um, what's behind it. And but you know, as you'll hear in the in the podcast, is that um, you know to grow and mature as an organization, if we want to carry out our mission and put more sheep on the mountains, you know, we do need a little bit more support than what our volunteers can give us. So, yeah, I think that this this podcast is, sheds a bit of light on that. And um, but like anything else, Steve. If anyone has any questions, my door is open. You know, give me a call. I'm more than happy to to go through it and you know try and explain you know why we do what we do and um, you know the one thing about it is me going into this paid role involved uh, all the directors and a lot of you know time and uh, consideration. It wasn't taken lightly. It wasn't like oh we just need to to create a position for somebody. That that was not the case. Um, this was a, a an opportunity that we felt that we could really grow our, our conservation p- footprint when it came to wild sheep in the province. And it's been almost a year now, and we get into exactly what growing our footprint uh, looks like. And our listeners will have to just listen to to hear what kind of growth we've uh, received in the last year, if any. Right? I think they'll be pleasantly surprised. So, speaking of growth, what do we have going on? Yeah, so we at the Jurassic Classic we wrapped up a bunch of our um, our winners, our raffles. We drew a ton of those. So if anyone's wondering who won what, check out our website 
there's all the winners are on our website now and uh, but we launched four new raffles at the Jurassic and uh, just some great conservation uh, support opportunities there uh, so of course the big bore rifle series continues Don and Gary step up again um, with a wicked seven som uh, custom built Gary Flack um, just a beautiful rifle uh, we've got the Jurassic rifle uh, full donation from that's a Tika and a Steiner optics donation and I think that's in the seven rem mag uh, a beautiful rifle there full full setup and then we also have uh, thanks to our conservation partner Sitka gear uh, we've got a, a great Sitka package and uh, Vortex has stepped up in co- coordination with Westside Stores, uh, Jason there is supporting us and just a great raffle package with that as well. So four great opportunities and, um, you know, great opportunity to support conservation, put wild sheep on the landscape, and, again, some kick-butt prizes, four really solid packages, anywhere from five to $10,000 in the prize package. So. Oh, totally. And without our, our sponsors and our donors and our members, we, we can't continue to put the amount of money and onto the ground as uh, – as we have been and oh speaking of that uh bull river we, we got that burn coming up right and there's a, a window where people are not supposed to be uh in in the area right it was what september 29th so today through the 19th or 9th 9th yeah i i can't remember the end date but it, you're right it starts today and um so the uh regional biologist reached out to us and just said hey can you share this um, we just don't want people in the burn area when we're burning, you know, it, it's in the bull mountain area. So if you see burning and it's, um, it's, uh, you know, there's signs saying you to stay out. They ask that you respect it. It's only during the burn. Once the burn is done, you can go back in the area. So, um, they're just, this is the only time of year we can get this work done. Right. So it's either do it now or don't do it. Um, and of course, this is really important habitat restoration work for wild sheep. So they're just asking, be respectful, stay out of the area while the burn's happening. Um, I, I think they're hoping late this week. I talked to Ariana um, on the phone on the weekend, and I think uh, late this week they got a couple days that they're going to try and do do the burn. So, yeah, stay out of their way, and let's do do what we can to support mountain species and wild sheep. Yeah, I did see on a couple of the forums, though, that uh, there were some questions regarding how fast the feed's going to return. Some people were concerned that the burn being done this late in the year would uh, p- potentially affect the, the ungulates and the sheep and the etc. winter food. And that's not the case. Uh, I've, I've seen uh, in the forest fires up here in the interior, feed showing up within a week two weeks after a burn has gone through so there's no danger of these animals going hungry in this small area so no need to worry there but yeah pay attention for when this burn is going on you'll you'll see the smoke you'll see you'll see the signs and you'll likely see the crews so yeah more more great work than on the ground so yeah awesome so yeah happy to be part of that project and uh and doing some more good work for wild sheep in region four where we know they need it so Oh, there's one um, one last thing. Region, speaking of regional biologists, our friend Bill Jax did send out that request for when you're returning, hopefully successful with uh, a sheep, to try and bring the nasal cavity in intact, still on the, the skull, so they can do some swabbing for Moby and uh, other diseases. So, yeah, simple, simple request if you can try and remember to do that. There's more information on our social media pages there of what they're looking for and exactly why. So yeah, dig into that a little bit, but try and remember that. 
Yeah, well said, Steve. So with that, we're going to go off to episode 89 with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, episode no, I'm, 89. Not, I'm not editing that. That's just too great. <laughs> episode 89 with Kyle Stelter, CEO. So uh, Greg Rensmeg is our host and, and Steve, and it's a bit of a flip, something cool, something different. And uh, apologize if I get a little windy, as I tend to. But uh, yeah, just a huge shout out to our members and our, our volunteers and, and all our leadership that are doing great work for conservation. So enjoy episode 89. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Hey, uh, so here we are, Talk is Sheep. We're going to do a little bit uh, something different today and be interviewing Mr. Kyle Stelter. So I'll be taking his role. Uh, so, Kyle, how's it going? Awesome, buddy. It's uh, it's good to be on here. It's good to have you in the driver's seat. And uh, uh, I hope I'm uh, half as good a guest as uh, the guests that we have on all the time. It's going to be weird, but uh, glad you're doing it, man. Yeah, a little this something is, different. This is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it really <laughs> is weird. It's like a parallel universe Brady Bunch type thing. It's weird. Well, we're not going to win any awards for being good looking, so might as well <laughs> talk over a microphone here. <laughs> a face for radio. So let's 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 do this how you normally lead it off, Kyle. Let's go with uh, who are you? Where are you from? Give us a little background on who's Kyle Stelter. Yeah, right on, man. Uh, well, born and bred in southern Alberta, grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and that's where it all began for me. I, you know, I grew up in as remote areas you could get, and you know, fun for me wasn't. Uh, like it is today with uh, iPads and all that sort of stuff. It was getting out and being in nature and just, uh, I walk out my front door and there's, there'd be rattlesnakes and coyotes and mule deer and whitetail. And um, just, a, we talk about, you know, biodiversity in Southern Alberta, that, especially when I was growing up, it was just a, a hot spot. There was everything around. You could see elk, moose, you just name it. So, you know, it's pretty hard not to fall in love with it. Uh, I grew up in a family of hunters that, that really respected the land. And, and uh, of course they made their living off it. my father and grandfather were ranchers and farmers. So it all began there. Very, very, very humble and very uh, simple beginnings. And, and so I, I just grew up loving wildlife and, and had a keen respect for, I guess, conservation and, and animals, probably more so domestic animals being ranchers, you know, um, the, the most important thing in our, on our ranch was, was cows and and horses and Christmas Day nobody ate until the cows ate. Once the cows ate, then we could get back to the house and have you know have Christmas breakfast. But uh, first thing was to get the cows fed and make sure they were bedded and and happy, and then we could go from there. So so yeah, that's where I grew up. Uh, came to the coast a long long time ago now in 1997 for work and and wasn't really into mountain hunting or any of that stuff. I'd never really done it, and then. Uh, kind of got hooked into the circle of lunatics that love the, the mountains and wildlife and, and the rest is history. Once I tasted it once, I was like, oh, yeah. So 
so that's kind of where it came from and and uh yeah it's been an interesting evolution and just loving every minute of it so when you say you got sucked into the world of lunatics and the mountains do you have one specific thing that was that was your moment like oh this is where i want to be yeah, you know, and there's that Jack O'Connor quote, which I love to butcher every single time, but, uh, you know, it's the, the no halfway, right? You know, and it, it was my first trip into the mountains. Uh, it was a, a, a sheep hunt, and uh, I'd been invited to, to tag along on this uh, this experience and uh, halfway up the mountain and you know, literally 30 pounds uh, overweight with gear that I shouldn't have had and literally had a three-pound sweater with me and um, just dying my way up the mountain and um, just absolutely trashed. Only got halfway where we wanted to go because I was so, you know, tired beyond belief. And, and uh, as we kind of made our camp that night and got some food in our belly and looked around at the wilderness, and I'm like, holy crap, this is this is what I want to do. This is, I love this. And and just hooked me. And it was, you know, and it, it really was 50-50. I was like, this could go either way. I was like, like, I, you know, 20 minutes earlier, I was ready to call it quits, head back to the uh, lake and call the airplane. But, you know, you get some food in your belly, you rejuvenate and, uh, you know, it didn't hurt that we were successful and had a couple of sheep on the ground later that, that trip uh, and just never looked back. I, I knew that every single year that I could be in the mountains, I would make every effort to do it. And, and uh, and it, and it was about that time that uh, I got introduced to the society and and the good people in it. And you know, we talk about our wild sheep family, and you know, so it's kind of twofold. You know, this this has become a way of life for me. Um, you know, in terms of you know being in the mountains, but then when we're out of the mountains, I get to live it year round because we work with the society and all the great people associated with it. Our our board of directors, our members um, and everyone that makes this whole wild sheep world go around and I, I wouldn't change it for the world because it truly does feel like a family to me awesome yeah we're we're glad you're part of the family that's for sure um uh, me too man so was that after that sheep hunt is that when you decided to join step up in the conservation world and join the society or were you a member before that i was a member before that so uh, we always joke, my sheep hunting partner, uh, bought me a membership to the society and he, he always jokes, it's the best investment he, he ever made. Um, but you know, that first year I, I went to the, the sheep, um, to the sheep show. It was in Kelowna. That was the first year I went with, it was in Kelowna at the time. Um, so I think it was 2012, somewhere in there. And, uh, right away, just, you know, just was, I, I, I walked into it. So my buddy couldn't go. He, he ended up having to work. He couldn't make it. So I, I showed up cold. I didn't know anyone kind of knew a couple guys from like hunting BC. That was it. And, uh, so walk in there and, uh, you know, I have to admit, I was pretty intimidated. I drove up to Kelowna on my own, didn't know a soul and, uh, walked in the room and it, it, it was like, I walked into a, a room full of friends, people I've known my entire life. And it truly, and I hadn't been on my first sheep hunt at that point. Um, and it was truly, you know, kind of evolutionary for me just to, to feel so at home with this group of people. Everyone's super inclusive. And, um, you know, it, sheep hunters tend to get a bit of a bad rap that, you know, a little bit elitist or a little bit of clicky. And, you know, I, I guess maybe there is a little bit of that because because of what we do. It's a bit, you know, unique and um, challenging and, and of course there's cost involved with, to do it, you know, comfortably. Um, so I guess I kind of get that reputation, but 
I'll tell you, it's an inclusive group. And I walked in that room and I didn't feel there was any clicks. I just, everyone was so welcoming and kind and, and, uh, and just right away, I was like, yeah, this is the kind of people I want to associate with and, and haven't looked back since. So, um, obviously wasn't involved in any level at that point, but at the time I think it was Rob Capecchi was the president and, uh, I think he was newly elected and I, I went up to Rob and of course, you know, everybody's so approachable, including the president, which, you know, I'm not used to that either. And I just said to Rob, Hey, anything I could do, I'd love to be part of this. And you, you know, you guys, you guys kill us. It's crushing it. I love it. And anything I could do to help. And, and Rob was super welcoming, but nothing really came of it at that point. And, and then a few years later, um, you know, kind of a happenstance way of getting involved, but I got involved through the Jurassic Classic. So that was kind of my first involvement with the wild sheep world. And, um, you know, we were involved with, uh, got involved with Trevor Crothers and uh, Wild Sheep BC and in and, and setting up the Jurassic. And, uh, and then that was kind of a, I guess, a evolutionary moment for me in the wild sheep world. And that's when I was like, okay, I, I, I want to do more and get involved and put my name forth for the board. And um, yeah, got elected. I actually don't think I got elected. There's a story there. We can talk about some other time if you want, but uh, um, I did get on the board. So, uh, but super grateful to be part of it. So. Oh, awesome stuff. So with your, uh, your previous career, you, you seem to have a lot of time kind of locked up when you're abroad. Do you think that allowed you to dive into your role more? Cause you've been someone that we've all kind of looked up to and you've been a mentor and you know, you, you've, you've right the ship, so to speak, when it comes to the society, you've carried it a long way. I don't know. You're, you're a humble guy. You don't like, you don't like the, uh, the accolades, but, uh, I can see it in your face right now, <laughs> but you know, you, you did during even the pandemic, you, you, you were locked up in, you know, your, your little hotel room on the other side of the country. And I'm sure that allowed you a substantial amount more time to keep yourself busy and dive into the conservation world. Yeah. Well, professionally, uh, as many of you know, uh, I was an airline pilot and, um, there's only so much time you can be in the cockpit. You're only allowed so many hours a month. Um, and really works out. You can only do basically a thousand hours a year. So 80 hours a month. Um, but you're gone all the time doing that stuff. So, you know, you maybe do a 10 hour flight, but then you have a, a day or two of downtime sitting there in the hotel and so they did give me a ton of opportunity to get involved in the wild sheep world. And um, so, yeah, it was kind of a unique opportunity that I kind of had a part-time job in some respects. And, uh, you know, this was my passion. It was what I loved to do. And so, yeah, it allowed me to, to, to get more involved. And, you know, but the, the true story is, is that you have to look at the, our leadership through the Wild Sheep Society of BC. You know, uh, when I came on the scene, you know, guys like Chris Barker, Mike Selden, uh, David Heitzman, Bill Pastrick, Mike Schroeder, the, the list goes on and on, and no disrespect to anyone I haven't mentioned there. But these guys have been doing it for 25 years, man. They, they've been so involved and so passionate. And and, and uh, I came in and I was fired up. I You know, I was hungry. I was excited about what we were doing and loved, you know, the world we were in and, and the great work the society was doing. And hats off to them because they allowed – a guy like me to step up and they didn't know me. They're just like, yeah, okay. Just, and so that's a true testament to the leadership, the society that over the years, you know, uh, the society's never been afraid to try things. Hey, do we get it right every time? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes. 
Um, but are we afraid to, are we afraid to try things? Um, are we, and, and when we make mistakes, we admit it, we move forward. And, you know, I have to give our leadership a lot of credit for, for allowing that opportunity. You know, one of the first things I did, I came on involved with the communications committee and we redid the logo <laughs> and they're all like, you're here for a year and you want a new logo. And I'm like, yeah, but everyone says the logo's tired and we need to redo it. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out. Everyone seemed happy. But afterwards, they were all like, three of them came to me and they said, you know, when you said that, we we're just shaking our head. They're like, oh, this is going to be interesting, you know. But, you know, it worked out. Take some chances. And, um, and yeah, I, I'm sure there's still guys that hate me because we got rid of the old logo. But, uh, but yeah, no. And so my point is, is that um, hats off to our leadership through the society of, being bold, taking chances, and and not being afraid to to venture out there, and and that's I think that's one of the keys to our success. That you know we listen to our members, we try and uh, pivot and and uh, listen to our membership and and do the things they want us to do, and I think it's it's having a huge huge impact. Absolutely. Now, is that something you kind of pride yourself in? Is being an open door for people to get get a hold of you? I know, even for myself, before I joined the society. I had sent you a random, our first, I don't know if you remember this, but our first communication was me sending you a random message on Facebook saying, hey, why don't you guys start a calendar? And then you just asked for my phone number, called me and said, I guess you're going to build me a calendar kind of deal. So is, <laughs> it, is that something you kind of, you, you pride yourself in as being an open book and listening to your membership and getting that ball going? Uh, well, I guess the thing is, well, one thing is don't ever call up with an idea unless you're ready to run with it because that, that's the thing, right? And, and that, that happened to me when I first joined. Like I said, the leadership said, yeah, okay, you know, you, you got these ideas, go with it. And, you know, I think take some chances, but be smart about it, calculated. And uh, um, so in terms of uh, priding myself, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't go that far, uh, Greg, but what I will say is that, um you know, our group is highly motivated and, you know, that's one of the things that I've noticed in the society from when I joined is, you know, when the, when we, when I first joined a number of years ago, there was a handful of people that did tons of work, but it was just, you know, a couple of people and it was, uh, and there was lots of people contributing, but two or three people were doing a ton of heavy lifting. And the one thing I look around now and I see every single day is, guys like you and Steve and just the list goes on and on and on of the directors, but also our volunteers, um, everyone's out there. And, and so now instead of two or three guys giving it, they're all, we've got 20, 30, 40 people giving it their all and the support of our membership. And that's the stuff because it doesn't matter how many Kyle's we have or how many, you know, Greg's we, if we only have one of them, there's only so much we can do, but we, if you got 40 people doing that or 50 people, that's the stuff that moves needles. And that's what I've seen. Um, and, and they're highly capable people, you know, the people that are working, um, volunteering, giving their time, talent and treasure to the society They're they're giving their best and it's incredible what people are doing. And, and it's, it's humbling to me when I look around and see all the people that care as much as I do and working as hard as I am to, to carry out our mission, it's absolutely humbling. And I love it. Love it. Awesome. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a loaded question here. So, <laughs> Lovely. You know, you haven't, in reality, you haven't been doing this that long, but you've, you've stepped up and you, you know, you're, you're carrying a lot of what we do. But uh, 
the, even when you look at our membership numbers, since you've been a part of the society, we've more than doubled, at least, probably getting close to nearly tripled. What what do you think contributed to that the most in your time? Yeah, um, well, this this number st- sticks with me, Greg. So one of the first things when I joined the board, Mike Shorter came to me and says, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "I, I fight." Mike, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to help sheep. And he goes, "Okay, um, you're going to do membership." And I'm like, "Okay, great, I'm going to do membership." So I thought, you know, I'll be part of a committee and I'll be like this little cog in this wheel, this giant wheel, and it'll be turning, and I'll just be, I'll just do my little part, right? And it's like, and he's like, "Okay, you're membership chair now, so go, go do your thing." And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "I can't be a chair because I, I don't know what I don't know." Like, and he goes, "No, no, you'll, you'll figure it out." And so. The first thing I did is I jumped into our membership database and we had 340 members. That was the number when I joined. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, I thought the society was huge. I thought there was tens of thousands of members probably. And um, and so, you know, yeah, we have grown it. And, uh, and again, you know, I, I think um, we have such an, a dedicated core of leadership teams. So our, our board of directors um, – but also our members, our members truly care. And that's the one thing that that first sheep show that I talked about that I went to, I, I walked in that room and everyone was mission focused. They loved the resource. They loved to go out and recreate and be part of it and experience it and experience the mountains. And um, I think with that passion, it's hard to go wrong. And if you can just channel it a little bit, you you can't help but explode because people are so passionate about it. And, um, you know, that's one thing I, I think about, like you can, you can cite all these different organizations that have tens of thousands of members, but really are they, do they care about the mission? Do they, like, if you ask someone, what is your mission? Would they even know what their mission is? And our members know our mission. And so, you know, I, I think we're a highly, a highly motivated group. And I think it goes right from the very top from our, our board of directors, right to the newest member. I, I, you know, w- we get people that'll walk in and just purchase a life membership that we've never even heard of. And they just said, you know, we, we love what, what you're doing. We love wild sheep. We love, um, you know, our conservation, what we're doing for conservation. So it's pretty easy to be part of that team, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's pretty, how can you go wrong when you have s- somebody that's so, dedicated and in support of what you're doing right so you'd have to be an idiot to screw it up (laughs) now now do you think uh the membership growth and seeing what's going on with bc contributed to uh helping to move south of the border there and join the foundation because you're their chair right now for membership as well are you not yeah i i do have the fortune of serving on the wild sheep foundation board of directors Uh, i joined them about uh three years ago um, I, I am their membership uh, chair. I also serve in the vice chair role um, and on uh, quite a few different committees with them. And, um, you know, uh, what was the biggest factor? I guess, you know, Chris Barker has always been one of my biggest advocates. Chris, uh, you know, when I joined the board, he right away pulled me under his wing. And, and Chris has always, you know, advocated for me and encouraged me and um, and believed in me, to be frank. And Chris was serving on the foundation's board of directors. Um, we've had the fortune of uh, some of the uh, foundation's leadership. Uh, Gray Thornton's been up to the Jurassic Classic and, and a number of other directors. And, and they kind of seen what we're doing in BC here. So, um, you know, I think Chris advocating for me is part of it. But I also think, you know, 
they look at what we're doing as an organization and they see the great work that the society's doing. And, you know, I happen to be involved with that. Um, and I, I don't, I don't take that for granted. I think that that's part of it. I think that, um, we have, you know, we, we do incredible work here in British Columbia and I think other people have noticed that. And, uh, you know, so I, I happen to be lucky cause I was involved with that, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say so much. It was, anything that I'd done, you know, just good people looking out for me, I guess. So, yeah. I had to speak on the, uh, getting noticed. It was kind of nice when we were down in Reno there and the seemed almost daily you'd, you'd meet someone new and they would compliment on what's happening up in BC. They seems like everybody's paying attention, seeing what we're doing up here and putting boots on the ground and making things happen. So, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, and that's, you know, it's, it's hard not to get inspired. And I know you too, are no different that you guys are just as passionate as I, you wake up in the morning and you got that fire in your belly that you just want to do good things for the resource. And it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to be part of this, uh, this team for sure. Yeah. yeah. De- definitely just takes one person to inspire the next person to inspire the next person. And just, it just snowballs and y- you can see that, right? Every, every sheep society member I've talked to, I- I'd say, I'd say 50% of them have never hunted sheep. Right. Like my, myself included. And, but I, I'm looking at a wall full, not, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but at least four or five different plaques of life memberships. And I've never hunted a sheep because the inspiration there. And I, I know it goes across the wild sheep community. It's, it's not just our society, but you see it in Alberta and you see it, it heck, the, the Midwest. Midwest doesn't even have a single sheep in their area, yet they have a chapter that's absolutely as passionate as we are right it's it, it's it's crazy to see and i don't know what it is about it i belong to a lot of other organizations but i've i've never seen the passion that there is in the wild sheep community so pretty cool to be a part of yeah definitely so let's uh we fast forward a few years here kyle and you know your job opportunities are moving you across the world and we didn't want to let you go so say last fall, you, you dove into a whole new world to be in the CEO of the Wild Sheep Society. Um, what's, what's that been like now that it's full time? I know that's kind of a big question, but it's full time. This is what you do. It's, you know, we'd love to say it's a nine to five for you, but you're, you're 24 seven and your phone's always on unless you're out of service kind of deal. Has it been more, more chaotic than you expected or? Has it been kind of what you were looking forward to? You know, um, 100%, it's exceeded my wild, wildest expectations by far. Um, you know, they're, it's different. It is different. Like, uh, you know, when you're waking up in the morning, it's a job. It's, uh, you know, as a volunteer, you always have the option of taking the day off um, or, or, you know, deferring it to next week and, uh, you know, this this job now is 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 a job. So you know it's um, it's it's changed in that regard, um, but it's actually more rewarding than I thought. Because the thing is, is uh, you know I can now focus my all my capacity, all my energy, all my time on on doing the job that I'm, I'm super keen, passionate about. And um, so it has it has changed. It's different, but. Um, but in a good way. So yeah, it's, it's been positive. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, 
Yeah, we're coming up on a year now. Next next month, it'll be one year of having done it. So seeing the cycle and and just really exciting to see how things are evolving, how things are changing, how we're you know we continue to to carry out our mission to to grow what we're doing in terms of conservation on the landscape and and uh, and I guess that's the thing is you know professionally before I was flying airplanes, so you know you got from A to B, you walk off that airplane, you were done. You just go to the hotel and I guess do sheep work. Um, but the thing is, is, um, now I feel like, you know, I am very mission driven. I wake up every morning with, you know, doing, you know, putting more wild sheep on the mountain. That's, that's the, uh, that's the mandate. And, and, uh, you know, you wake up every morning with that, with that mandate and, and it's pretty cool, pretty exciting. So, yeah. So now does it, uh, ever get a little bit weird, you know, so you're you're doing this all day during the day, but I'm sure I'm not the only one get that message from you. You got a second to talk, and then you got to wait for us to be off the clock, and you know you're waiting until dinner time for someone to call you back every day and dragging dragging out your hours. Does that get a little bit tiresome sometimes? Let's be honest here. <laughs> it, it, you know, it it actually makes it really interesting and. Um, I have to say if it wasn't for a very, very supportive family, um, my wife is incredible. It's, it's insane how real reasonable she is with this. Um, if you didn't have the right fit, it would be a, a freaking nightmare. It would be a train wreck, but you know, it's interesting today. I had a zoom call. Uh, I thought it'd be done at five o'clock. Well, it was five forty. And then uh, I finished up the Zoom, I get a text, and uh, I walk out, and I'm like, dinner's ready, so I'm already late for dinner, sit down for dinner, and as I'm having, sit down, I get a text, oh, can we chat about the meeting? And I'm like, oh, can I have 10 minutes? And then, you know, and here we are at 7 o'clock doing our, our, our Zoom, and or sorry, our podcast. So, you know, Melanie's super supportive, she believes in, in, you know, she's a life member of the Wild Sheep Society, life member of the Wild Sheep Foundation. She's a monarch member. She believes in our mission, um, and she she she's not maybe as passionate about the resource that I am, but she is respectful of you know my my desire and and what I want to do and how I want to be involved with the the wild sheep world and and it's been awesome. So you know, I have to say that um, if I didn't have the support of of my family, it'd be a different story. We'd be having a different conversation. But but I do have their support and uh, and you know there there are times where it, you know it, there's a lot of balancing right trying to make everything work but there are benefits too right so you know you just take the time when you can get it and you have to realize you're going to be flexible and when I went into this position it was eyes wide open I knew 100 percent that um, and the thing is is you know I'm in a paid position um, you know you guys are volunteers so um, to me. You guys are the the true uh, heroes here, and I have to be flexible in uh, my time. Um, I'm working for you guys. I, I work for the board. Uh, I work for our membership, and um, and it, it, and I think if you don't have that mentality, you probably shouldn't be in that job. I think if you go in thinking that you have this entitlement to to the, to your time and that sort of stuff you're probably in the wrong profession. You probably should go to get a nine to five job or get a union job or something like that. So um, certainly comes with the territory. And to be honest, no, I, I, I don't get tired of it. I And um, there are some times where I'm just not available or whatever, and that's fine. But um, yeah, I think, you know, doing this thing, you got to be pretty flexible. Otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah, for sure. 
So, no. so no. sorry, that was really long. Oh, it's so, all good. I, I want to know, like, we, 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 we jumped right into the role of the CEO. As your role of pre- from, you went right from president to CEO, and we, and we never really talked about the the evolution of why the society felt the need to move to a CEO position. Can you talk about that for for a little bit? Yeah, you bet, Steve. So, you know, that's one thing. Right when I joined the society, um, we kind of were looking for some paid leadership. We, you know, we we felt that, you know, we're doing some great work here, but. You know, our volunteers are limited in capacity. There's only so much you can do as a volunteer. Everyone's got day jobs. They've got families. They've got responsibilities. And we're looking for somebody to take on that sort of that paid position. And and so we actually recruited an executive director, which is a, is what I'm doing. I'm, you know, a glorified executive director. The title is synonymous CEO or exec director. Um, we, we brought someone in that position and the corporate culture was not a great fit for that role for the individual we hired and it became pretty clear really really obvious very soon that this was not going to work out so we amicably parted ways and then you know we're, we've always kind of been on the lookout for someone to take over that leadership role so you know we kind of learned from that first mistake that you know we put someone in that exec role that that they should have had you know growing into that role perhaps, or it was somebody that we knew would be a great fit. So we, we hired two executive assistants over that time with kind of the goal of maybe we can move them to exec director role. And uh, one of them was Sabrina and Sabrina did a great job, but she, she ended up, you know, she, she had a, a whole profession on the side as uh, a surveyor and, and she decided to go back to that. Um, and then we brought, Mike survey in and Mike wasn't quite ready to move into that role. Um, and so with me, what happened was, you know, got, we've been talking about this before, like, Hey, it would be great if you could do this for a living. Well, I, I did have my day job. It was, a, you know, it was, I was an airline pilot and, you know, it was, the pay was good. Um, and, but then by happenstance, I ended up losing my job um, due to, they basically closed the base in Vancouver. And I, I was in a position where if I wanted to keep a job, I would have to move overseas. And if I was going to do that, I would have to just step back from the, I was the president at the time and I would just have to step back. I was going to be moving to the other side of the world. So um, at that point I was like, you know what? Um, I kind of looked at options around and I'd had discussions with our senior leadership in the society and they'd said, Hey, like, you know, would you look at moving into an exec director or a CEO role with the society? And I said, well, I said, I don't know. I, you know, I can look at it. So, you know, we kind of sat down and talked about it seriously. And um, there's no question that this is my passion, right? Um, I, I love what I'm doing. I, lo- I love wild sheep. I love our community. I love our family, all the stuff I was involved with the foundation. And I didn't want to give any of it up. And um, so, you know, basically I sat down with them and we talked about options um, now the downside was the financial side. Obviously I was having to take a pretty significant pay cut, but at the end of the day, you know, we sat down we figured it out and I, you know, we had some pretty deep discussions as a family and Melanie and I sat down and we said, yeah, we can make this work. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I, I, I was fortunate enough to, to put some money away during my time as a pilot. And, um, I also got a buyout, so that helped uh, offset things and, um, so I kind of came up with a proposal for the society and, and pitch it to the board of directors. And, and um, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's different. Um, I, I'm certainly not going to, 
going to retire with the big boat and uh, and a cottage somewhere. But um, I tell you, I wake up every morning and I love what I'm doing because I, I used to be an airline pilot. I, I didn't wake up every morning and go, oh, I love my job. I can't wait to get in the airplane. But I do that here. So yeah, it's been a trade-off, um, but it's it's been a good one and I, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it for sure. Yeah, there's something to be said about waking up and wanting to do what you do for a living. It's, it's more, worth more than... Worth more than some money sometimes. Obviously, their money's Absolutely. good, but happiness is a little more important, and keeping the family grounded and everything's ideal. I'm sure you get to spend a lot more time at home now, and it's got to yeah, got to keep things better at the homestead. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. In terms of quality of life, it's there, there's no comparison, oh, right? Oh, I, sure. I, I, I can vouch as somebody who worked closely with you for a couple of years before you took this job. I'd, I'd be texting you going, okay, you good for a call? Uh, yeah, just taxiing or just landing or can't talk right now in the air. It, where, well, where the hell are you? It was either Alaska or Chicago, New York and or Mexico occasionally, Hong Kong often. It was just nuts. I couldn't imagine keeping that that type of schedule. It was it was tough enough to try and con- to stay in contact on the phone. I could only imagine what it was like actually living it and then having uh, a wife and a couple of kids thrown into the mix. So, yeah, Monday to Friday as much as possible during regular daylight hours in the Pacific time zone is much easier to keep track of. You. So, pretty selfish that way, but that's why I like it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 so, for sure. I don't don't really know if you can even kind of give us a a general overview of a, a average day for your CEO, but I want to I want to hear what you kind of what you can do, what you can kind of say about a you know your average day because you have a lot of not average days, meetings and going to different places and trying to get uh, sponsors and whatnot. Yeah, good question, Greg. And it's um, you know, with regards to to what I do, it it, it literally changes day to day. You know, you wake up with a plan of where it's going to go, and then you get that first email, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's not happening today, right? But uh, you know, one of the things that you know I was brought in to do was to to provide some you know leadership in terms of strategy, um, you know, long term where we're going, and and you know, find a way to get us there. And um, so to, to help grow our conservation footprint, to carry out our mission. So, you know, that's a lot of what I, I'm doing. You know, it's not not always the minutiae. And of course, that happens too, right? You know, you get a small little thing you got to deal with that, um, you know, is, is not, is not going to really change anything, but it really needs to be dealt with. But, you know, really trying to provide um, that leadership for the society to sort of take it to that next level. You know, we kind of had that basic level of where we were and now we wanted to you know we wanted to up our conservation footprint uh, we want to grow our membership uh, we wanted to put more dollars on the on the landscape and so you know it's providing those different things and, and like you said um, you know it's um, you know finding new sponsors no new donors um, you know there, there's a few things in this past year that I've I've been able to accomplish that you know are pretty exciting for me so one of the things that we were we've tried to do for over a decade now was to find a charitable solution for the wild sheep society of bc um we made a couple different attempts and we were unsuccessful 
And uh, so, you know, that was one of the mandates was to find a charitable solution for the society. So um, through working with our leadership here in the society, um, there was a, a new entity that was created that we work closely with, with the Mount Wildlife Conservation Society. It's a charitable organization so that, and its mandate is to look after wild sheep um, and look after, you know, mountain species, but in general, in generally, and then wild sheep specifically. And um, so we created this new new charity. I was a part of that team that that created that. Um, it's a separate entity from the Wild Sheep Society of BC, but we work very closely with the Wild Sheep Society of BC, and it's an opportunity for us to have a, a charitable venue. So, you know, setting that up was one of the things that I, I worked on this past year. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh, other things, like we said, that you know, developing these new partnerships, uh, conservation partnerships. Um, we've got six conservation partners that we work with now, um, and you know, they're they're kind of our flagship partners that that really make a big difference for um, wild sheep in the province. Uh, so that's a big thing that I work on. But this, and then, you know, just even, there for what, just for the listeners at home, what would uh, warrant someone becoming a conservation partner? What, what makes that class? So basically our conservation partner is our, our flagship partner. And monetarily, it's basically a $20,000 yearly contribution is what it, um, what it is. So, um, and there, you know, if we look, for example, our first conservation partner was Sitka Gear. So they've given us um, over $20,000 a year for the last five years now. Um, and of course, we, we use that for our, our raffles and a whole bunch of other fundraising initiatives. And it's had significant impact for our wild sheep conservation efforts in the province. So um, it's truly a, a step above. It's, it's a very high level of, of sponsorship. And of course, they get all all the the benefits of you know the promotion and, and a whole bunch of other things that go along with it. But our conservation partners are really truly making a difference for wild sheep in the province. And um, you know, and we always go back to Sitka Gear. That first um, agreement that we had with them, they've been there now for for the the five years and just been great partners with us. And now we're fortunate enough to have uh, six different conservation partners. So we got Sitka Gear, Stone Glacier. We've got Gunworks, uh, Precision Optics, uh, Swarovski, and Stone Glacier. So we got the six um, partners that are are there. And so that you know, that's a hundred at least one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year that they're donating directly to us in either cash or merchandise, and it really is making a difference um, on the landscape. And part of your job is chasing those guys and maintaining those relationships. And you brought in. How many did you bring in this year? You brought in a few new guys this year. Yeah, there were a few new guys. I think I said Stone Glacier twice, and Yeti was the other one. So I, I think I said, unfortunately said Stone Glacier twice. But um, And yeah, so basically it's building those relationships. And, and I think that that's one of the keys. You know, some people say, well, why the heck do we, why do we have a paid CEO? Um, you know, I've heard that question before. And I think that's a, a valid question. Um, and, and kind of my answer to that is, you know, we need that consistency. Directors come and go, right? You know, how many directors have come and gone off the board over the years? And to build relationships with six different companies and, and get to know six different, um, you know, individuals. And of course, their people come and go. You know, um, my relationship with a number of these conservation partners over the years, the individuals have changed there. So you you have this handoff and you're me, me, making new relationships and building new partnerships with these people and getting them to trust you, believe in our mission to see what we're doing on the landscape. So that all takes a ton of effort, obviously, right? 
And um, so, you know, and yeah, so building those relationships, but of course that's a small part of what I do, but that is one of the things that I do. But I guess, you know, for somebody that, that does say, well, why, why do we have a paid position? Why, why do we have Kyle, you know, on a salary and uh, as a, well, I'm a contractor, but why do we have that individual there as an, interest. I just looked at our trial balance year to year. So I started in October of last year, October 1st. And year to year, this was from July of last year, we we're a half million dollars over and above where we were the previous year. So um, I can tell you, I certainly don't make that kind of money. So, you know, it's significant um, inroads we're making for conservation. Um, just another small, tiny aside, but um, interesting, you know, we also are negotiating contracts. So one example is we we have our online gaming stuff and we've grown our online gaming platform significantly over the last 10 years. And But there's a fee for that. Well, I recently was part of the team that renegotiated that contract and that was a $26,000 savings by renegotiating that contract. So, you know, what do I do? Well, that's what I do. You know, we don't, our volunteers don't have the capacity to, to to go and negotiate these contracts, to build these relationships. So, you know, I guess anyone that says, well, what do you do? That's what I do. And I think I, I certainly, when I, when we talk about wages and, and what I'm getting in uh, comparison to what I'm bringing in, um, you know, I, I'd be more than happy to sit down with anyone that, that questions that just to show them. And it's just, I don't even have to defend it. Just, I just show them a piece of paper and like, this is some of the things I've worked on. This is my, what I'm making and, and uh, certainly is you can see that it pays for itself. And then some, so, yeah. Now when it comes to, um, the government, you, your location kind of helps us out with that. So you're the guy, you're the, you're the face that's going down to parliament and having the meetings or hitting on the zooms. And it's, it's basically that because we don't, as the volunteers, we all have day jobs and this is your, your day job. So what's that been like kind of leading the leading the role heading to government and having to go to all these meetings and that's a that's a big big part of what you do is maintain those relationships and try to get get what's right for wildlife from them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, because I'm in a paid position now, I'm actually quote a paid lobbyist, so I'm a lobbyist as well. Um, so that's that's my part of my I guess job responsibility. Um, and you know, before when I was volunteering, so there's three of us that would serve on what's called FATAT, which is the Provincial Hunting and Trapping Advisory Team. So that's uh, a group of us that sit here in Victoria, it consists of a number of stakeholders, but the Wild Sheep Society, BC is one, JUABC, BC Wildlife Federation, BC Trappers Association, and others. And so, you know, we provide uh, input and guidance on, you know, regulation changes and that sort of stuff when the government decides that they are willing to engage us on not everything goes through us, but some of the things do. Um, so, you know, we were all volunteering for that. Myself, Chris Barker, and David Heitzman were the three representatives. But again, we all have day jobs, right? So, you know, if I'm over on the other side of the world, Chris is on a construction site somewhere. David's doing, you know, busy with his trucking business. He's off on business. So we then we, ha- we don't have a representative there. And again, this is something we have to take seriously. We're we're sitting on this is a privilege to sit on that committee uh, to sit on the provincial hunting trapping advisory team committee and there's a lot of organizations that are fighting for that trying to get that right to do that and you know it was hard for us just to get individuals there so you know now i can attend every one of those meetings like that is a mandate i have to be there for those meetings and other ones too right so you know we we 
endeavor. We meet with the ministers. Um, we recently had a meeting with uh, uh, the Liberal Caucus. I think there was 14 Liberal MLAs that showed up for that. Um, we meet with Minister Popham quite regularly. So, yeah, and this is all important work. And, and part of that is that consistency, getting them to know your name, to recognize you when you get in a room, so that when something happens, when things start going south, there's a domestic ag issue or, you know, you know something comes up, you can call that individual or text them and say, hey, and, and we know how that stuff works. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? So, um, yeah, it's an important part of what we do and and, um, and something I enjoy. I, you know, I like building these relationships with these elected officials and, uh, and some are non-elected too. A lot of them are bureaucrats as well, right? So having access to the director of wildlife, having that conversation, calling them up and saying, hey, I've got an issue here. You know, we want, it, we want you to address this or, you know, and again, we don't always get what we want, but at least getting there and having that conversation is an important piece. If you can't get to them, if you can't have access to those elected officials, then you got nothing, right? Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, your your less g- glamorous jobs that we uh, we task you with is your, your party planning skills. You're, uh, <laughs> you're, you're one of the, the folks behind every single convention, uh, in-person meet you're on the fundraising. You're, I think you're on every committee now and you're just rocking and rolling and keeping that ball rolling. Uh, you know, and the, the planning as much as we like to say, it's not that much your planning has, uh, for the in-person stuff is quite a heavy workload as well. Yeah, and it's been it's been a weird one, right, with COVID and and all these cancellations and trying to, you know, and I think that that's one of the things where, again, going back to advocating for you know me being in this paid position is that we when when things like COVID happens, when they shut down your only fundraiser, you know, back in the old days, and that you know that's the one thing that our membership has to keep in mind is back in the day we had the Kamloops Convention and that was it. There was no raffles. There was no gaming. There was no Northern. There was no Jurassic. There was no pub nights. There was one thing, and it was the Kamloops Convention, and that was it. There was nothing else. So, you know, if we'd been relying on that this last two years, how much would you be spending on wildlife? And that's me holding a big fat goose egg because there'd be nothing. There'd be no revenue. There's nothing. So, you know, I, I think that that's one of the things of, you know, with this change, um, this this paid position, it allows us, you know, now we, we have to keep the business going. So when COVID hit, we're like, okay, let's we're going to have to pivot. We're going to have to make decisions here. Um, how are we going to, you know, monetize things? How are we going to keep things going? Because now we've created this monster of putting a quarter million dollars a year on the ground for wildlife. How do you stop that? How do we just call up the provincial wildlife biologist and say, uh, for the Fraser River project this year, you get nothing. It doesn't work, right? They need that money more than ever, right? And they've come to rely on us as a funding source and our, and for our leadership too. There's no question that the work that our projects team and our board does for for these different projects is is pivotal. Like they, you know, they look to us for our leadership, and you know, of course, we play a monetary role. We bring funding, but we bring funding partners. We bring the support they need. We advocate for these projects. We meet with uh, ministry staff, with elected officials, and so yeah, it's a big part of what we do. And and yeah, these, you know, the ability to adapt quickly and and sort of you know, evolve during these, these weird times like COVID is, has been pretty important. And, um, you know, but again, that's our board. Our board is willing and ready and to roll up their sleeves, pivot, make the change. 
Um, and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize the great work that Mike Survey does. He's working there day in and day out. I work side by side with Mike, and um, and just trying to carry out the wishes that the board sets for us and and keep things going because we've kind of created this monster now. We've got this huge funding mechanism that we were able to support at a quarter million dollars plus a year. And if we if we're not doing things, if we're not putting on events then we're in trouble, right? So that's, we're, we always got to be, you know, we're always mindful of that and trying to keep things going. And unfortunately, you know, we've got the support now of all our board and our volunteers that we can do this. We can do, you know, you look at what the guys do up north, the Northern Fundraiser, just knock out of the park. You look at Jurassic, you look at Kamloops, you look at our raffle program, Joe Humphreys heads up our raffle program. And um, I just looked at the numbers before, the podcast here tonight, and we got about six fifty on the books for raffles this year. Six hundred fifty thousand dollars—that's a lot of money. Um, and that's some, that's that's Joe's purview, right? So it's pretty cool. All the different, you know, individuals and all the, you know, everyone's kind of got their own little piece of the pie that they're they're growing, they're tending to, or their piece of the garden, and and that's why I think we've been so successful. Is there's so many people that really care and making a big difference. Yeah, I think it's a big testament uh, to everybody that we work with and guys like you when, you know, when COVID hit and you're already in Kamloops and you're sitting there at the convention, everything's set to go and then you get that ball dropped on you and, you know, I wasn't on the board yet, but I was on my way up and I got the phone call to turn around and I'm like, I'm, I'm still going, but uh, <laughs> you, you guys that were there, uh, you know, you've you lead up to it however many months of planning that takes and non-stop day and night going and then you get that ball dropped on you by the government and you have to make that decision you know in the 23rd hour it's we're we're canceling our biggest cash cow of the year uh it's like what what was that like for you like i i i know what it was like for me and i wasn't even the guy i wasn't involved at that point Buddy, it was bloody scary, um, you know, because the other side of it is, you know, there's a huge commitment. You've got this hotel that you rent. Um, our, our fees at the coast and every year are, are north of 50 grand a year, right? So, you know, we didn't have COVID insurance. There wasn't such a thing that we, you know, there's this thing called force majeure, which didn't hold up, wouldn't hold up. That didn't, there was no COVID clause. So, you know, not only were we gutted because our members were coming – Shockey was coming as our keynote. We got Jim Shockey coming as our keynote. That in itself, like Jim Shockey's going to be there, right? So right there. But then you know, all our our members were up there. Like guys were guys and gals were showing up. We we're seeing them there. They came up the night before. They're up there on the Thursday night for the Friday show. They were spending the weekend. They'd spent money. They'd taken time off their jobs, and um, you know, we sat there and um, you know, is there any way that we can do this without? you know, without breaking the law, you know, and then, and, and at the end of the day, we, we couldn't, there was, it's a provincial health order. There was no option there. So it was, it was heartbreaking. Um, it was something that it was one of the hardest decisions we'd had to make at the time. Um, and then the other side of it was, is that where are we going to come out of this financially? Like, you know, what are we going to owe? Now, gratefully, the coast was very reasonable. They basically made us cover our, their hard costs. So, you know, anything, if they'd rented equipment or they'd bought food, we had to cover that. Everything else, they just washed it. So the coast was amazing. And you know what? Our membership, again, I, you know, I say it over and over and over. I'm sure you guys get tired of it. But our membership is insane because 
I can't remember what our fees were, but, um, you know, we just said that we're going to refund everybody. And I can't tell you how many people, but I can tell you it was dozens and dozens and dozens of people to say, we're donating it back. And we came out further ahead from donations for that than, um, that, than the cost owing to the coast. So we, we were cash positive. It certainly wasn't going to put any, any wild sheep on the ground, but we certainly didn't go backwards. And we didn't ask our membership to do that. They just did it. And to me, that's a testament of our membership. They care about our mission. They care about what we do. And, um, you know, it was humbling to see that. I was, for weeks afterwards, I was just in awe at how generous our membership was and the support they gave us. Yeah, it was a pretty unreal moment, uh, you know, just talking to people from the society, members, and we all kind of said the same thing. It's like, oh, we've already dedicated that money, turn it around, just give it back, and the society can keep it. And, do something good because you know, it seemed like a lot of the membership realized this is going to be devastating for conservation from our end of things for sure. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, I was I was sitting in that room when the call was made because remember I was uh, vice chair of communications and going, okay, the order's coming out and we're watching it and watching the ticker and I was like, oh, damn. Had told Kyle, I'm like, they just closed it and the look on his face was you're 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 kidding me no here and then we went up to the the hospitality suite and had the the meeting and the you you could just feel the disappointment in the room it was just like you you know when you get that perfect lung shot on a moose and the air comes out it was the same sort of thing just watch just everybody deflate and then, as Kyle said, over the next week or two, when we started putting out the messaging going, hey, what do you guys want with your funds? And 50, 60, 70, 80% of people were going, no, keep it. It was amazing. It really was. And that, that saved 2020 for us. It really, truly did. So, yeah, on, onward to better better things. This 2023 is going to be amazing. All right. I'm looking to well, sheep uh, show, sheep show, sheep, sheep show 2023. Camloops, you guys better be there. Oh, I'm booking already. I'm booking in end of September for my flight for sheep show. Yeah. So let's, uh, you know, we're we're running long on time here. So let's get into some some hunting stories to end this off there, Kyle. Let's take us on your <laughs> your first sheep hunt that sucked you into this rabbit hole of a world we live in. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, again, that's why a lot of a lot of us are here, right? We just have a love to be in the mountains with, with those majestic creatures, and um, yeah. So my first sheep hunt, um, it was a fly-in, and uh, you know, again, no expectation, no idea what to expect, and um, so um, yeah, I, I have to say, I, I learned a lot on that first sheep hunt. I heard a lot. I was miserable a lot. Um, and I was, I was definitely hooked, but, uh, opening morning, uh, we woke up and, um, we were on a band of eight rams and we, we were fortunate enough to, uh, harvest one of those. Um, I think there was only the one legal ram in the, in the, in the, in that herd and, uh, Mike, Mike had spotted them. So we have this rule, whoever spots them gets the, gets to shoot them. So he had first right of refusal and, uh, shot a nice ram. He was beautiful, and it was just to be part of that was just, uh, yeah, just unbelievable. And uh, you know, just to get every, just to, to see sheep on a sheep hunt to me is a success. 
to harvest one is unbelievable. And we thought, okay, well, we got our sheep. I, I didn't even care. I didn't even want to. I didn't even feel like I wanted to hunt. I wanted to go sit at the lake and uh, we couldn't drink beer because we didn't have beer with us. But um, just, you know, rest on our laurels and enjoy Mike's ram and be happy. And Mike's like, we are not stopping until you get your ram. So, um, yeah, we we hiked up another drainage and uh, actually went completely different, 180 degrees the opposite direction. And I think on about day six, um, interesting enough, we, uh, we climbed up into this, you know, this, this high area and kind of tucked ourselves in, into a little shelf. And we, we just got set up started glassing and, uh, I'm glassing and Mike, I hear him. He goes, Kyle, don't move and don't say anything, but I'm pretty sure there's a legal ram to your right. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, just duck down. And I'm like, well, how far? And he goes, 75 yards i'm like what <laughs> and he's like just duck down and back back behind this knoll with me so i backed down and so this ram had bedded right at the top like you said and you've seen it i'm sure greg you've been in the mountains and then they you know they find that high point the precipice and they they get up on top and they you know that's where they sit that's their safe point they got escape terrain so you know, Mike's coaching this two-year-old kid that's has no idea what he's doing. He's like, "Get your butt down." He goes, "Put your hand, arms down." He goes, "No, no, crawl, crawl." Like I was, uh, and so anyway, and he was super patient, but he's like, "You got to stop faffing around here. There's a ram there, and you got to you got to concentrate. Get get yourself together." And I was just kind of a two-year-old. I didn't know what I was doing, so I'd never hunted like that in the mountains. So anyway, I crawl up. And uh, he goes, just make sure you're happy that he's legal. And of course, I look at him and he's tipped out and just beautiful ram. And uh, yes, he was 75 yards and I was laying there prone and one shot, harvested him, shot in the lungs. And he just kind of tipped over, you know, it was like he was sleeping. And we walked up to him. He he was 13 years old. I think he grossed about 164 and just a a beautiful ram. And, uh, you know, I always joke that we baited that one in, you know, it, it, we were sitting there and he came and bedded on top of us. It was just the, the craziest thing. And just, you know, but again, sh- sheep hunting is not, you know, there's great sheep hunters that kill sheep and no disrespect to them, but there's an element of luck. And I had some luck that year. So, um, yeah, we were pretty excited about that one, and uh, of course that got me hooked. So awesome, and no, no, no slouch for the first one either. A thirteen-year-old ram, you can't go wrong with that. Now you missed a, an important part yeah. of that story with Dahl, Stones, Rocky, Cali. What did you get? Yeah, it was a it was a BC Stone sheep. Beautiful. Yeah. So no, yeah, awesome. Uh, no, it was a, humble. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Let's. Uh, now we all all mountain hunters. We all have a story. That uh, sends uh, shivers down your spine when you think about it. What's what's your one story where it's like I shouldn't be here anymore? What, what was the scariest mo- moment for you on the mountains? So I can think of one I situation okay. I put you in before. So I just <laughs> <laughs> that there's one, but it's also the stupidest thing I've ever done. So I can't tell that story, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it, it is a probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. So, you know, of course, mountain hunting, you, it takes some getting used to, right? And, there, you know, I, I still learn so much on every trip, right? There's so much I learn, even, 
you know, I'm always learning tips and tricks. You know, Joe, Joe Pell was up at the um, Kamloops for our, our mountain mentorship event. And I just sat there and took notes for half an hour. I'm like, you know, I thought, I thought with Joe there, I'd learn something. I knew I would learn something. Right. But literally for half an hour, I'm like, oh, I use this trick and I use that trick. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like where have I been for the last 20 or whatever, 10 years. Right. So, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I was on a stone trip. It was a fly, fly in and we were in this hanging valley. We, we had a tent set up and we'd been there for three, four nights and, um, we didn't see any sign of bear. There was no tracks. There was no scat. There was nothing, right? And um, so we had our tent set up in the trees, and then we'd walk down to this little creek, and you could you get it by this creek. You couldn't – because we were in the trees, you couldn't glass from the trees. But if you got down to the creek, there was enough of clearing. You could go up, and you could glass quite a bit of stuff. It was a pretty good spot. So, you know, we'd, we'd done this, you know, three or four times. And um, the one night, we go down there, and we're glassing. And now for some reason, here we are in the mountains, we left our rifles at our tent, which are like 200 yards away or 300 yards away, but we didn't bring our rifles. And I, I we're sheep hunting, uh, we're in bear country, but anyway, the stupidest thing you've ever done um, and the scariest thing you've ever done, yeah, that was me. So anyway, we're, we're standing there and we're just glassing and all of a sudden I hear this sploosh, 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 sploosh. And I'm like, what's that? And I kind of look, Mike's still standing beside me. And both at the same time, Mike and I look at each other and we're like an epiphany, right? And we see this grizzly walking down the creek, maybe 12 yards away from us. And Mike looks at me and he puts his finger up the shush sign. And I'm like, yeah, no doubt, buddy. And the, the grizz walks by and there's, it, there's an almost no, there's no wind, I guess, and doesn't notice us. And it's a pretty young uh, young Grizz and walks past us. I'd say the closest point he gets to is about eight yards, but he walks past and then he kind of curls around like in the creek, walking in the creek. And then he looks at us and he, I guess he probably winded us and he stands up on his, on his back feet and he just looks at us and he's staring at Mike and I, and I kind of back up and I grab some hiking poles. I don't know what I'm going to do with those, but, um, and Mike is just standing there with his binoculars and, um, and yeah, he just stares at us and then he just spins and he takes off and that was it. But, uh, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. And that was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. And it was, fortunately he was in a good mood that day. Cause if he decided otherwise, it would have been really ugly for the two of us. So, um, wasn't smart. And that's when you scurry back to the tent for the, the wardrobe change. And <laughs> well, so Mike, so Mike, runs back he's like okay i'm gonna run back to the tent get the rifle I'm like, yeah that's probably a good idea so he takes off he goes into camp and uh unzips the tent and all of a sudden here's and there's another bear in the trees so uh, tell me how that works anyway he grabs the rifle and he knows with a grizz you're not supposed to run right He's just like, he just started, he just ran through the trees and he's like, I don't care. I'm going to die. I'm going to die by Kyle. And he runs back. And then of course we come back to the tent, you know, half an hour later as, as the sun's setting or whatever. And there was no sign of the bear, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, that's the thing. It, it comes down to respect, right? Respect for the mountains, respect for wildlife. And, you know, you just let your guard down for half a second and it could have easily been the end for us right pretty pretty dumb on my part yeah we've all made those uh mistakes (laughs) 
I've I've definitely walked away from the tent a couple of times without a gun and thought, oh, that was dumb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're not alone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. A couple times this year. Well, last oh, yeah. last September. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got uh, any any plans coming up here, Kyle? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the one cool thing is um, I am going to take off here and I'm going to go go into sheep country, hopefully chase some sheep. And um, so taking off uh, early September and for two week flying and yeah, really excited about it. Just, uh, you know, for me, that always grounds me. I just get in the mountains and I don't even have to see sheep. And I, I have done that. I've been on, well, I think, I don't know if I've been on a sheep hunt, never seen a sheep, but I've never seen a legal ram in some cases. And just getting out there, for me, that's the reset that I need for the year. Um, I just get out there and I feel recharged. And, um, you know, the success for me is seeing some sheep. And if you happen to get on some legal rams and, wow, you're able to harvest one, that's that's amazing. Uh, but just to get out there is, is the big reset for me. And, yeah, can't wait. Like, so st- stoked. For yeah, it. nothing uh, reminds you that you're just a blip on this earth and that plane flying away and you're looking around going, all right, it's me and Mother Nature. So it's here we go. Yeah. Well, that was uh, yeah, an awesome podcast, Kyle. And I'm, you know, I'm sure everybody's got a little bit more look into your world. And we're happy that you're in that CEO role doing this full time and doing all the heavy lifting for us. So we just ride on your coattails in the background. So we, yeah. we appreciate everything yeah. you do, man, for sure. Uh, that's, that's awesome, man. And, you know, I, I guess that's the one thing for me being in this position is that, um, you know, I, I'm just surrounded by people all the time that are so passionate, so driven and, uh, and just give so much of their, you know, time, treasure and, and talent. And it's right, right from the, you know, the, our, you know, the senior leadership on our board of directors, but even our newest members, you know, just everyone from there right in between and everyone's just given it so much. And to be part of that team, is, it's pretty rewarding. It's, and I just feel humbled all the time when I look around that, you know, the, the, the time people give, uh, you know, the donations, the support, um, volunteerism, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, never been with a team like this and it's, it's definitely the dream team for sure. So we calling her there boys. That's uh, we let them ramble on a little too long or you did let me ramble oh, too long. Are we done now? Sorry. I, I should, yeah. <laughs> can wake up now. <laughs>